Well, today will be a bit different for us here and for my style, maybe. Typically, I have three pages of notes which carry me about 45 minutes of digging in the Word. Today, I have no notes. Part of a pastor, one of my things I enjoy doing is I love studying the Word. I love digging into it. You know me, I just, I have books. In fact, yesterday, one of the interns said, there's Pastor Cody's desk books, and he had to put another desk on top of those to have more books. I just had books everywhere. So I love to study. I love to, as a pastor, come up with some good phrases just to kind of punch it home with you. And hopefully you've got some of those phrases down, like this one that I just love that's about our, our church. Our church is all about worship, not style of worship, but object of worship. And I love just coming up with these quaint, good phrases where I just go, yeah, today I don't have those. Because today, I do not want you to go, oh, you got it down, Pastor Cody. I'm not shooting from the hip today. I'm total dependence on the Holy Spirit. Not just making up these notes. This is deep, deep in my heart. This is something I've been studying for years and years. This passage is profound. What we're going to get into. In fact, soon you'll see me kick off my shoes. I usually don't preach with my shoes off unless... We're out doing something, but I'm going to do that because what we're doing today is sacred, holy, profound. And some of you would say, well, then every time kick your shoes off because that's what this is. But do note, my shoes will not be off throughout the whole sermon. There's this aspect of the Old Testament. We've been walking through the Old Testament, looking at Christ in the Old Testament. And there's this awe and wonder that we should catch where we should kick off our shoes. But on this side, in the New Testament, because of Christ, we will see that. Put on your shoes. We still are on holy ground, but there's something we need to do about it. So before we dig in, would you pray with me? Father, for the last couple weeks, my heart has been very deep and in a bit of tremble as we as I anticipated this Sunday looking at this great concept of the holiness of God at times I thought and I firmly believe better for me to walk up and break my neck before I preach this than to give any misrepresentation of you so Lord I ask that we today are able to just get this glimpse of who you are. Something so desperately needed today in the church, in America, and in this world. So Holy Spirit, do your beautiful, holy, tender work, we ask. Move in our hearts, and may today be one of those days where we say, I will never forget this day. So Holy Spirit, Father God, and Jesus, move in our hearts today. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. One thing that we have been doing is we've been going through the gospel according to Isaiah. So if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah. And if you don't have a Bible, we have a couple Bibles in the back. And we have been going through this journey 
the way of the cross, looking at how the Old Testament points to and shows us these glimpses of Christ. And we took some time, short time in Genesis, a long time in Exodus, some time in Psalms talking about suffering and how Christ suffered. And now we're in Isaiah. Isaiah is considered the fifth gospel in the Bible. Isaiah has this gospel message that is profound. It's this story, this drama of redemption. And what we want to do the first couple weeks, I thought, let's just not go through every chapter, which would be fun, every verse, which would be fun, every word, which is my style. We're just going to take a quick overview of chapters 1 through 39 and get a good grand picture of how God shows himself to his people, to us. We have seen that God is sovereign. He is totally in control. Nations are just like pawns on a chessboard where God doesn't have an opponent. He's on both sides moving it. Don't forget that. Don't think that God's behind this table and the chessboard's there and he's going, "Mm, let me move this one here and the devil's there or the enemy's there and the enemy's like, ha ha, I've got you. God is on both sides moving every part. He is in total control. Don't forget that. God is grand. Chapters 1 through 5 show the failure of the people. They fail, they fail, and then we get to chapter 6. So turn to chapter 6 of Isaiah. Again, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. If you've got a Bible, and I encourage you to get a Bible. We'll take one, anyone. We can do one up here. And it's okay to share with your neighbor. Sit by someone that's got one. I love being outside, and as the summer goes on, you'll see I'll get tanner and tanner and darker and darker because I'm out as much as I can be. And sometimes I forget to put the sunblock on, and I come bright red. So if I have a bright red shirt on, you know I forgot to put the sunblock on because I was outside, and I got fried, and I don't want to embarrass myself. One thing I love to do when I'm outside is just soak it in. A few of us went to a mountain peak yesterday, and it was beautiful. We could see all the way down into Oregon. That's how it's pronounced, just so you all know, okay? We went down, we could see all the way down and see Mount Hood. We could see Adams. We could see St. Helens, Rainier. It was just beautiful. There are two things I'm reminded of when I'm on a mountain peak. Or when I'm sitting at the table with my family. Or when I'm studying the Word of God. Two things that I often take for granted. Two things. Just, they hit me every time I'm out doing something. One is my eyesight. How quickly our eyesight could be taken, right? Short accident, some kind of quick disease or something, could, some bacteria could hit and boom, it's gone. When I'm on a mountain peak, when I'm with my family, have you seen my wife? My little cute kids? When I'm able to read this word, daily I pause and go, thank you, Lord, for my eyesight. Because I love to look and soak up and see the beauty of things. 
Don't take for granted your eyesight. I love to read the precious word of God. I love to look at my wife. So daily I'm reminded how precious my eyesight is. I really don't need my glasses. I just need that to see far away so I know who's in the back. I just primarily put them on so that way I don't want to wrestle with my kids or sit on them so I can take them off. I really don't need them. But sometimes I realize maybe I should have them on so that way I protect my eyes. That's the number one thing I don't take for granted, my eyesight. What's the second thing? That I'm alive? My favorite verse, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's in control of that. The second thing is this. To be able to say the word holy. I don't take that for granted. Think of it. You know your sinful life. You know your past. I know my sinful life. I know what I'm like at times when I'm frustrated and, okay, oh, I want to sit with my kids and just lay out, out, you know, just, oh. Who am I that I'm able to say the word holy? To me, the word holy is very serious, very profound. It's so serious that I've got a lot of Bibles, this here is my preaching Bible. This is the one I have. It's, it's thin. It looks like a Bible. But when I have to do a serious sermon, when I have to do a wedding or a funeral, I bring this Bible. This is a Bible given to me by my father-in-law. And I love it because it's black, just like I like my coffee. And it looks like a Bible. Because you get so many Bibles out there now. It's got all these cool flowers and stuff. That's fine. But when I'm officiating something... This is my wedding and funeral Bible because it looks like a Bible, right? And not much on the front. It says, Holy Bible. One of the things that kind of, it's a little pet peeve of mine that irks me is we have so many study Bibles out. Women with four children study Bible. You know, it's on the front cover. Women with five children study Bible. Women who, you know, men who like coffee and car mechanics, and they got cool pictures of cars peppered throughout it. Remember when we used to have Bibles that just said, Holy Bible? This is one of my favorite Bibles. One of the Bibles, and I won't say the name, but I, this one irks me, is it's a famous pastor that's out there. I won't say where he's from. You can't really see what it is, so I'm not going to embarrass him. But his name is bigger than the word Bible. Come on. Now the word holy is not even on here. But this guy's name is on there. His name is all in really cool letters in the Bible. It's just kind of small. Holy. Think of the privilege that we have to say the word holy. I want you to think about that as we go through this beautiful section in Isaiah. So, Take a look in Isaiah chapter 6. Again, 1 through 5. Failure. We see the failure of the two divided kingdom. Israel has failed. They have just been taken away. The Assyrians have come. Bad news for them. Judah, the southern kingdom, like, ha-ha, look at our bad cousins. They're idiots, and we're not. That's not in the original Hebrew, the word idiot there. But 
and they're all acting pious and how holy we are. We know the Bible. We know the Lord. Failure, failure. And then chapter 6 comes. Let's walk through this beautiful section of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. So here's a king. If you ever do a study on the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, you'll realize that most of them, 95% of them, are bad, 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 bad. They just fail. They just they follow other gods. They just they do horrible things. They sacrifice their children. They just do wicked, wicked things. Once in a while, a good king comes up. They're not perfect. They fail here and there. But King Uzziah, he was a good king. Fifty-four years he reigned. That would be for us Harry Truman. Some of you remember when he was president. You don't have to show your age, but just kind of nod. I remember when he was president. Imagine that he was president from there until now. That's a long time, okay? And in this time period, it was a good time. Things were nice. Things were, were great. Look at all the people around us. We're kind of protected. It must be because of our king. No, it wasn't because of him. It was because God is the king. He's the one that sought. But in the year that King Uzziah died, 54 years of good times. We have a good king. Think of your favorite president. Someday I'll try to get a t-shirt with my favorite president. You'd be like, oh, I like him too. Or some of you might go, I didn't like that president. Well, whatever. This was their favorite king because that was the king when they were in elementary school. That was the king when they graduated high school. He was the king when they got married, when they have kids, grandkids. Everything was nice. Uh Uh-oh. He died. Now what? We are in trouble. This great king is gone. And we see all around us the political calamities all around us. We are in trouble. Look at the words used here. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Wake up, people. As cool and as grand and as how fun it was to have this king around who's now dead, he is a small fry compared to the one that is truly king. In the year that he died, I saw the Lord I saw the true king. I saw not just someone who comes and goes. I saw the ultimate one who is the ruler of all things. So pause and think of this. In your security, in your nest egg, in your little kingdom, that things are doing fine, you're afloat right now, when the king dies, when something gets taken away, My prayer is this, that you see the true king, the true Lord on high. When your marriage is crumbling, when your family structure is struggling, when your grandkids are out doing, oh, what do I do? See the Lord seated on a throne 
high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Here is one of the grand, true themes of Isaiah, of the Old and New Testament. God is greater than any box, any style you can imagine him to be in. And you are in a worse condition you think you're in. God is great. He's on this throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. He is completely glorious and great. Look at verse 2. And above him were seraphs. Seraphs are these angelic beings, primarily only mentioned here, alluded to maybe in a couple other passages, but there's these angelic beings. So above him were these seraphs. Now listen to this description. Each with six wings. Okay, that's, we got these pictures of these angels. They got, you know, they're really cool with blonde flowing hair. They always have these cool eyes and a sword. Maybe that's how I picture them with swords and they're on fire, you know, and these, these wings and they kind of float around. Above him were these seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. I remember looking at this going, well, that's kind of weird. Why would they have all these wings? What's the, what's the purpose of all this? As a hunter, as someone who likes to be outside, I like to observe animals. The favorite way I love to hunt is with a bow. Because you are quiet, you have to be still, scentless, sightless, and animals and creatures all around you go on without noticing you, hopefully. Just yesterday on the way to Rainier, we were driving in a Owl flew right in front of us. I was like, wow! And it reminded me of the time I was bow hunting and the owl landed right next to me and I just froze. And it was just cool to observe this owl move his neck like you see in the cartoons. You know, like, wow! And the way he would blink his eyes and just freeze and look and just... So one thing I know is this. Every creature is designed with certain things to help them do what they're supposed to do. Gather food, protect the young, do whatever. A deer has huge ears moving around like this, listening, a nose to smell me, all these things. Okay, let's look at this, verse 2. Six wings? You only need two to fly. Why these extra wings? With two wings, they covered their faces. Because here it is, people. In the presence of Almighty God, even the creatures designed to be there are designed with wings to cover their faces. Because God is that grand and great. Sometimes we forget that. We make God a little bit lower to make Him more comfortable for us. Heck, when I was in 
high school, I had a couple t-shirts with, there was this one with Jesus on it, and he was on the cross, and it said, bench press this. We make God to be our best friend, our buddy. And we forget that he is totally other than us. With two wings, they covered their faces. Go back to Exodus. Remember Moses, Exodus 33 and 34. His encounter with the Lord, the grandness, the splendor, the supremacy of God. And Moses had to hide. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. Why would you cover your feet? In one aspect, this is showing that they are created beings, showing the humbleness and creatureness of them. They're covering even their creatureness to say, whoa, who are we, even created creatures, to be around God Almighty? And with two, they were flying. Verse 3. Here is the beauty of this passage. Most people love to jump to verse 8. And we'll get there. Don't read what it is now. People love to go, oh yeah, verse 8, let's just carry on. But the meat of Isaiah is right here. And they were calling to one another. This, this catches me also. You think it would be this. Here is the Lord, seated, enthroned, almighty God. And here's these created beings flying around him, covering their faces because he is so grand, covering their creatureness, their createdness, their humility, like, whoa. And they're flying around, and what are they doing? They are calling to Isaiah, right? That's what it should say in my mind. In my mind, they should be going, hey, Isaiah, check this out. It doesn't say that. And they were calling to one another. Even beings who are in the presence of God continually call and remind and call out what's coming up here. How much more we who are redeemed should be doing this. Amen? Here it is. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The first three words. In fact, sometimes it's a good thing I'm not in Pastor John. Pastor John's position leading worship because sometimes when we sing the words holy, I pause and don't even say it because I just think what a privilege it is in leading worship I'd be, be singing the words. Holy, holy, holy. Now in the Hebrew language when this was written they didn't have highlighters. They didn't have typewriters where they could underline something. They didn't have neon signs where they could plug and go look at this to make an emphasis to focus on something, they would repeat the word. For instance, there is a Hebrew word that, 
or there's, there's, there's a part in the, in the Old Testament where it says, he fell into a pit. A pit, something you could fall into and crawl out, right? Then there's the same word used in a different place where he fell into a pit pit. What's a pit pit? A pit with cherries in it and there's pits in there? What, what, what is this? It's a deep pit. You can't crawl out of that pit. So they doubled the word saying, this is a pit pit. It's not just a pit. It's a pit pit. So for the language, they would say the word twice because they couldn't underline it or say, hey, look at this is special. No other adjectival word is tripled in the Old Testament except for this word here. Holy, holy, holy. He is not just holy. He is not just holy, holy. He is so holy, our shoes should come off. He is completely other. What does the word holy mean? Here's a simple definition. Set apart from the profane. In my years of studying this word holy and trying to comprehend this transcendent otherness, the way I've boiled it down is set apart from the profane. So write that down and think about that. He is set apart from the profane, completely other, completely transcendent from anything created. He is holy, holy, holy. You know, the church is great at saying we are set apart We want to represent God. But you know what? The church is also good at letting our hearts run the show. Our hearts are natural, idle factories. Think of this. And we are so prone to make God in the image we seem fit. To fit our theology, fit our church, fit our style, and fit what's comfortable. Listen, God is completely other. He is completely holy. Every day, in a sense, we should just take our shoes off and just go, you are so grand and great. Why am I messing around? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Take a look at your letters in your Bible. They're all capitals, correct? Take a look at that. He's not just Lord. He is not just Adonai. He is not just Master. He is not just the the ruler. He is Yahweh. This is his personal name, if you recall. He is the great I Am. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Almighty. Look at the next phrase. The whole earth is full of his glory. Every time I'm on a mountaintop, I think of this verse. And I should have said it out loud. Usually I do, but yesterday we were making sure everyone was safe because it was fine. It was a good hike, simple, easy hike. And we were up there, and every time I'm on a mountain peak, I think of this verse. Go to Psalm chapter 8. This is the verse I thought for a while. I thought, whenever I get to a mountaintop, what should I say? What should I yell out? The second thing sometimes that I yell out the first time I get to a mountain peak I'll say this verse out loud, then I'll say a movie that my mom saw when she was, I forget how old she was when she had me, when 
No. But she said, that's the name of my boy. It's a movie called White Heat, and he's on top. James Cagney, I don't forget, someone got black and white, and he said, look, Mom, I'm on top of the world, and he blows up, and hopefully that doesn't happen to me, but it's like, thanks, Mom, for naming me like that. So I always say, look, Mom, I'm on top of the world. But the first thing I say is Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, see it's all capitals, and that's the Hebrew word for his personal name, Yahweh, the great I Am, O Lord, our Master, Lord, capital L and then lowercase, see that? So it's O Lord, our Lord, here it is, how majestic is, and when I'm on a mountaintop, I want to say, how majestic is your creation, look at this, yesterday I was like, Look at this view. People get to live in this state. It was beautiful. O Lord, our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is what's greater than even creation? What's greater than even having eyesight to behold it all? Here it is. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Why would his name be greater than what I'm seeing right now? Go back to Isaiah 6. Why? Because he is holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 3. I encourage you to study the rest of your life. Study every word. Think of the word glory. Think of how this is all a part of who God is. Look at verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Again, I just go, what? These creatures speak something, and that's what happens. Inanimate objects begin to shake and tremble and smoke. In my mind, I go, no, that's, that's kind of wrong because it should be when God speaks, everything smokes and trembles, right? But listen, it's not because of who they are, what they were, it's because of what they say. What they say makes things shake. I don't know how it was for you a couple days ago on the 4th of July. I was going to throw a picture up of me with my fire extinguisher because I was ready. Sat down in Port Orchard for a while. It was kind of fun. But then we found out our neighbors put a lot of money into those big, the big boxes that shoot off the big things every you know, four seconds. They bought 20 of them. And I'm like, we're going back home and we're going to have some fun. And as it would be, one of them tipped over. Wow, did our neighborhood light up. One guy, the guy who did it, got hit in the chest, and he got a big bruise across his chest. He was okay, and one flew by our bush, and I was like, whoa, I felt that. I enjoyed it for a moment, then I was like, is everybody safe, okay? There's a little pyro in me. But at the sound of what they say and what is going on, everything shakes. My favorite fireworks are the ones that just go up in a flash, and I go, oh yeah, boom, I feel it. I want to feel them. That's nothing compared 
to who God is. Amen? Everything around shakes and smokes. Our picture of God is way too small, people. Or our picture of God is way too... Well, that's what the Bible says, but let me tell you really what God is like. And we put this to the side, and we love to create our own style of who God is, fitting for our season and time. What's the response You heard me say this before. I love to engage our minds in truth. And naturally, our hearts will respond in what? Worship. Verse 5. The first thing he says, Woe to me, I cry. Because here it is, people. When you truly catch a glimpse of who God is, your shoes come off, you look at your, you just, woe is me. I am just a creature. I have elevated myself too high. Listen what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I am done. Just throw this on. Remember, my shoes are off now, but they won't stay off. And this is to some of you who've maybe grown up in a church where it's all about, woe is you, you bet you're a worm. You better tremble all the time. And there's so many churches missing grace. Amen? Yeah, woe is me, but guess what? I've been created in the image of God. Stand back, world. I've been redeemed. That can never be taken away. Stand back, world. I've been called by the king, this one right here. Stand back, world. And someday he's coming for me, and that can never change. Stand back, world. So there is this dual aspect where you have to say, woe is me, but also know, as we'll see in a moment, our position in Christ. But for you that have always been taught, woe is you. Don't live in that. But taste this. Verse 6. I love how the Bible doesn't end there. Some of you, in your mind, the Bible ends there. You walk around, woe is me. Woe is me. I've sinned, I've failed. Woe is me. If I had a whip, I'd use it. Woe is me. My hands are dirty. My lips are unclean. Woe is me. And you love to just read the negative stuff in Scripture and go, ah, that's just me. Oh, the Bible doesn't end at verse 5. In many ways, it should. Listen, remember this God is just, but He's more than just. He's grace and mercy. Amen? Verse 6 Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Wow. We'll look at this in a moment. Powerful statement here. 
He is ruined. He is full of sin. He's just, I am done. But the Lord always provides for His children. And the angel, the angelic being comes, touches His lips, and His sin is atoned for. And now, He is able to even say the word holy. Isaiah has this moment of woe is me. Do you have those moments? This past week, it was Monday. Got up early, was praying, and I just want this in my head. Lord, I need a personal revolution. I need, I need to just, I want this freshness of you, Lord. Why have I become so stagnant in certain areas? Why have I become so complacent and just like, all right, it's time to pray, it's time to study, it's time to read the Bible. I need a revolution in my heart just to break away that junk. Why was I praying that? Because of verse 3. When's the last time you said, I need a personal awakening in my heart where I can just be a Waken to say, I hunger for you, Lord. I desperately need you. And in this we see that the Lord provides a freedom for those who are sinners. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, verse 8 here, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. When you truly catch a glimpse of his holiness, the glory of God, the natural response is, woe is me, worship, and Lord, use me in any way. Each day when we get together, two guys living with us right now, I say, all right, Lord, let's, let's pray. And I always say, Lord, whatever you want today, we're available. Because they're getting used to plans change. Things come up. I need to confess this to you. I squander some of my time. I love to just to just take it easy sometimes. In fact, last week I was like, all right, guys, it's late. It's almost 11 o'clock. Let's put a movie in. Let's, just, let's do it. I am so glad the Lord arrested my heart. There's nothing wrong with throwing a movie in. There's nothing wrong with, let's just ch- chill. We've been just pushing it. Let's just relax. My brain's tired. But the Lord arrested my heart. And I thought, when I get to eternity, will I sit back and go, why did I waste my time? And I said, you know what, guys? Someone in church is going through a hard time right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to get in the car. Instead of watching a movie, we're going to park by their house, and we're just going to pray for them instead of watching a movie. And they're like, well, let's do it. It's interesting, the neighbors around would once in a while look at us because <laughs> we would turn on our flashlights, read the Bible, praying for them. Don't worry, I don't pull up to your houses and do this often. But how foolish I could have been by squandering time when I could just be used by God. 
How many of you are wasting your time? How many of you are just going, I'm finally retired, praise God. Finally got a little break right now. It's my vacation time. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. You're entitled to be a child of the king and use that for his benefit, not yours. Amen? So my prayer is that you do not waste your time. Soak in the beauty of who God is and say, God, today, whatever you want. As we're driving, as we're shopping, we may see someone and it's time to stop and pray for them. It's time to do whatever. Or maybe when I call you, I might say, in fact, I did it this week. I called Duel. You got a moment? He said, sure. You got a moment right now to pray. You mean right now? I said, yep. He's like, absolutely. And maybe some night at 11 o'clock, I might knock on your door and say, someone needs prayer. Come with me and let's go pray. Because when you catch a glimpse of who God is and your position in Him, you will say, here am I. Send me. But this story doesn't stop here. Turn to John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. I am so glad even though there's times I wish I would have lived in the Old Testament. I would have loved to have been one of David's warrior friends with a sword. That would have been great. Yeah. Okay, anyways. I would have loved to have seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the other one in the fire with them. I would have loved to have been in Exodus 14. But I'm so glad I wasn't of these next two verses we will read. John chapter 1 verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So church, as much as we want to kick off our shoes and do that once in a while, please put them back on. Because we don't have to walk around with ashes on our heads and go, woe is me all the time. Christ has come. He has atoned for our sins. He is the only way. Now we have this veil has been removed. Moses was with the Father. He was with God and the glory was there. He caught that. He was glowing and he was, you know, he had to put a veil on his face so people wouldn't freak out and people think, well, the veil was there because he was glowing so much they were like, oh, I need sunglasses. They weren't invented yet until Corey Hart came out. I wear my sunglasses at night. Two people got that. Never mind. And why, why does he got the veil on there? Turn to Second Corinthians and we'll end with this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Here's the verse. Each year I take a verse and I just go, I'm chewing on that verse for a whole year. Thinking about it, mulling it in my head, brewing it. I'm using all terms so maybe you get understand what I'm saying here. Literally don't chew on the Bible. And here is the beauty, or as this passage would say, the glory of, 
of the new covenant. Moses, he had a veil on his face. Why did he keep the veil on his face? Not because people needed sunglasses. It was, it was just the opposite. Because that glory was fading. The glory was there, but it faded. The Old Testament, the glory came. I say, wow, the glory was there, but it faded. But those who turn to Christ, the veil is removed. Praise God, amen? And we have Christ in us. L- look at verse uh, 14. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. Look at verse 15. Even to this day when Moses read, the veil covers their hearts. But, verse 16, and this is 2 Corinthians 3, in case you're lost here. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here it is. And we who with unveiled faces all, hard translation here, all reflect, all behold the Lord's glory. So the more we spend in the Word, the more we behold His glory, the more we catch a glimpse of what Isaiah had, the more we behold Him, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect, all behold the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The more we behold His glory, the more we're transformed to be more like Him and reflect His glory to do His work. Whatever you do, in word or deed, in the shipyard, tucking kids to bed, praying for your grandkids, working in the garden, picking berries this week, reflect His glory. And that only comes in Christ. You want to know the beauty of God? Turn to Christ. If you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive, which is some of you, turn to Christ daily. Soak up, behold, reflect the beauty of Christ. And out of that, you'll be transformed to be more like Him. And every day say, Lord... Here am I. Use me. Be careful, because on that day at 1130, I might knock on your door and say, let's go pray for an hour. Someone needs help. Church, soak up the beauty of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. Be in awe of His holiness, the beauty of His otherness and your creatureness. Be affirmed, Christian, that you are in Christ and nothing can take that away. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.